Thessalonians, would you turn there? First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. We were in Colossians. So it's fitting that we just continue. All right? That's what we're going to do. We're going to uh, move to the next book of the New Testament, the book of First Thessalonians. You do know that these were not written in this order. You, you do know that, right? Uh, that these books were uh, compiled and put together uh, by the church in the order that we find them, but they are not necessarily in chronological order. So uh, the book of Matthew is that was written in the New Testament. Um, you see the book you're looking at right now? Uh, most, most men who have studied uh, the word and studied the subject out tell us that this is uh, if not, it, it is one of the, if not the first book that was written in New Testament era, New Testament time. And uh, so it's the earliest of, of writings for, uh, given by inspiration of God for the church. And it is written to the church at Thessalonica uh, to be a blessing, to be a help to them. And I understand even that while we were uh, away on our mission trip in April, Dr. Bear spoke a little bit from First Thessalonians and shared some facts about that. Uh, the fact that it was a um, uh, the first book or believed to be the first book that was written in the New Testament time and the focus of the book. And we're going to look at it a little bit, and I hope you'll find this book to be a great blessing to your heart and life. Let's pray. Ask God to direct us and help us this morning. Father, I thank you for uh, the Word of God and the great value of it and the power of it. And I'm asking you, Father, as we even introduce this book this morning, as we see the purpose, we see the overall uh, focus of the book, that uh, you'd stir our hearts about the things that we find here and that you'd uh, speak to our hearts even as we uh, give some introduction, explain what's happening and what's going on in the lives of these uh, people. And I ask you, Lord God, to, uh, to touch our hearts today with things that we need for our lives. Help us to, to realize that um, uh, the Word of God in books like this are of great value to our walk with you and just our, our everyday life. And I ask you to touch us with the truths that we'll find from First Thessalonians today. And I'll thank you for what you'll do. Thank you for the promise to meet with us. Now we pray for your power and your presence this morning to be very real. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What does it take to stop you? What does it take to stop you? A Christian radio station operating in Africa a few years back received an email from a young man who lived in North Africa. The station had uh, begun broadcasts in his area about a year previous to when they first received the email from this young man. Uh, he introduced himself as Anwar. I think that's how you pronounce his name. It doesn't matter because you don't know him. And so I can name him whatever I want. But uh, Anwar is, I believe, what, how you would pronounce it. He was writing to this, to, these, uh, to this radio station because he wanted them to know he had come to faith in Jesus Christ after listening to the radio programs that had been sent and again aired in Arabic in his area. And, uh, and he just wanted them to know what God had done in his life. 
he expressed the fact as well, and it was true, that it was illegal to be a Christian in his country. And he also said in his letter that his family, the family was making his life very difficult. But he wanted them to know he didn't waver from his decision for Christ. In fact, the pressure he was facing only strengthened his resolve to live for Jesus Christ. Here's what he wrote. He said, please don't think that I'm sad for what's happening. On the contrary, I'm very happy because the Lord is with me. Every day I feel his hand on me. I hear his voice. The message of Jesus Christ is my only hope. I have sincerely trusted in his word, and I am following him. I don't care what my family says to me. Please pray for me. That was part of, in essence, the first email that he sent after explaining they had come to faith in Christ. It was a young Christian who was willing to stand for Jesus Christ. The email came a few days later. He wrote these words, I love Jesus Christ. I'm ready to die for him. After my father tore up my Christian books I had gotten, I read the Bible on my computer, but now I'm not allowed to use it. In fact, I have to borrow some money from my friends to go to a cyber cafe to learn about God and his word. But that's what I'm doing. He went on in his letter and he said, Yesterday, two police officers came to our house and asked to meet me. One of them said, I think you're playing with this Christian thing, right? If you don't stop this game, we'll bury you alive. We'll consider you a terrorist. I think you know the result. Prison will welcome you forever. He finished his email by saying this, I'm sure I'll be... Uh, taken to prison soon, either this week or next. I'm just writing to let you know. I know that no one but the Lord can help me. Maybe this email will be the last one. And it was. Nothing was heard again from Anwar. As I read that, as I thought about, here's a young guy who had just come to faith in Jesus Christ through a radio station that he heard. And yet, he had the courage and character to stand for Jesus Christ no matter what the cost. What a challenge that is. To read of a new believer who loved the Lord enough to pay for it with his life, if that would be the case. And that's why I asked you the question this morning, what does it take to stop you? What does it take to stop you? And is not something in his experiences and what was going on in his life. And although we don't know what happened afterwards, uh, the fact of the matter is what happened to him and what was going on in his life is not unusual in church history. Do you realize that uh, most every one of the churches that's being written to in the New Testament were facing intense persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ? And the book of Thessalonians is no exception to that case. Look, if you would, at Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6, where it says this, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Ghost. It's an amazing thing, but you'll find throughout the Scriptures many references to the matter of suffering and persecution. And the book of Thessalonians was written to a church that had known persecution. Get this from the very start. From the very moment these people came to faith in Christ. In fact, the truth is, persecution started before they came to faith in Jesus Christ. 
Because Paul, when he went to uh, this area, to Thessalonica, and started to share the gospel, met with opposition. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. But these people were people who were willing to stand for Jesus Christ. It took more than just some threats to stop them. It took more than just someone coming along and saying, hey, if you don't stop this, we're going to throw you in prison. No, these people were willing to pay it with their lives, just like Anwar was, and just like many have been throughout history. And God calls upon Christians to have the same kind of resolve. What does it take to stop you? Yeah, we don't face anything like what they did at the church, the church at Thessalonica did in their day. We don't face what Anwar did in North America not, not too long ago. I think it was somewhere around between 2000 and 2005 where those emails were sent. Uh, we don't face the persecution that many do in countries, in Muslim countries, where the threat is very real if someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ. So the question is this morning, what does it take to stop you? As a Christian, God wants us to stand for him. And if we were to try to explain what the book of Thessalonians if, is, if we were to try to uh, give you an overall picture of this book today, we'd have to say this. It's a book about affliction. And the challenge in this book about affliction is for you to continue on for God. That no matter what happens for your faith in Jesus Christ, to continue to live for God and be faithful to God, no matter what happens. So this book challenges us to live for God in affliction. Now, we just shared with you in Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6 uh, the reality of affliction. Paul shares with them that the work of God began in Thessal that they had begun in Thessalonica came at personal cost because of the resistance of godless men to the gospel. So to appreciate that, you kind of got to get some history. So turn back, if you would, to Acts chapter 17, if you would. Uh, or Acts chapter 16, that would be fine. Acts chapter 16. We, we could take a lot of time. We don't have a lot of time to spend on it this morning. But let me explain a little bit about what's going on. If you are there, if you want to turn to Acts 16, uh, we read these words in verse 8. He says, um, And they passing by Mycenae came down to Troas, and this is again what's going on in Paul's life, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, verse 9, there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. Now, if you're going to understand what's going on, actually, you can't start there. But that is the first indication, at least with Paul, that God wants him to minister in this area called Macedonia. Thessalonica is in that area. So is Philippi. You hear the name uh, Philippians? All right, those two books were, those two cities, those two places were located in Macedonia. And this is where he received the call. It really starts back in Acts chapter 13. Don't turn there. But in Acts 13, 1 to 4, God used two men by the name of Paul and Barnabas to go with the gospel to the Gentile world. Their ministry, their focus was winning not only Jews, but focused really on winning Gentiles to Jesus Christ and having them come to faith in Christ. And they did. Churches were started all over in Asia. Uh, God did a great work through Paul and, and Barnabas as they preached the word. We call it their first missionary journey. In Acts chapter 15, they decide to go on a second journey. They didn't call it missionary journeys, by the way, at that time, but that's what we call it. And so they decide to go on the second journey, and at the end of chapter 15, 
I think it's somewhere in verses 36 and through 39, uh, Paul and Barnabas are discussing going back over and visiting the churches that they had been to, and they have a little rift. They have a little issue that comes between them. It's a guy by the name of John Mark who left them, and Barnabas wanted to take him with them because Barnabas was always interested in helping people. Well, the rift was so bad, Paul said, no way. Barnabas said, yeah, way, that they divided up. They split up. By the way, God used even that uh, in, a, in a great way uh, because John Mark became usable in the ministry again because Barnabas invested in him. And it seems like Barnabas went and he began ministry or going to the churches again. Paul took a guy by the name of Silas in chapter 16, and he begins that second missionary journey. And as he travels, he has this vision, and this vision says, go to Macedonia. Now, it's kind of interesting that he has this vision, because you would think, if God were leading you to a place, that it would be a wonderful ministry, and everything would be effective, everything would be great, wouldn't you? Do you know that nothing but trouble comes in this Macedonian journey? And yet, he was convinced this is what God wants for us, so he goes to a place called Philippi. And when he goes to Philippi, he, he preaches the word. And get this, no, no men come to faith in Christ. At least at the start. Do you know who the first one who was saved? It was funny. Because in the vision, a man came and said, come to Macedonia. Do you know who got saved first? Lydia comes to faith in Christ. Because go down to a place where prayer was wanted to make, where women were praying. And Paul starts to talk with them, and they come to faith. A number come to faith in Jesus Christ. Lydia is one. She takes them into their, her home, and uh, and the ministry is begun, if you would, in Philippi through a woman, which was very unusual in that day. But at Philippi, Paul and Paul and Silas a little bit later are thrown in prison. Yes, they are. The Philippian jailer. You remember that story in Acts chapter 16, a little bit after what we read here when they first got a vision of the place they were supposed to go. And so they face opposition. They're thrown in prison. They're beaten for their faith. And so you know what they do? They end up leaving. And from there they go to Thessalonica, chapter 17, verses 1 to 6 of the book of Acts. Uh, look, if you would, in verse 1, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was the synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in in the synagogue on the Sabbath days, and he argued and he, and he alleged that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God, and they need to be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. He preached the same message to them that he preached to the Philippian jailer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That is the message of the gospel. It's not good works. It's not be a part of a church. It's not be baptized. It's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Paul went to Philippi, he preached that message. When Paul went to Thessalonica, he preached that message. When he went throughout all Asia, he preached that message. As Paul went, his message was, Jesus Christ can save you from sin. And if you have never put your faith and trust in Christ, you need him. That was the message of the gospel. And when he preached that message... It was met with opposition, so much so that Paul basically had to run from his, for his life from Thessalonica. And he went to a place called Berea. 
And the Bible tells us the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they heard Paul preach the gospel, the same gospel message. Christ died for our sins. Jesus is the Christ, and you need to put your trust in him. And everything seemed to go well in Berea because the people studied the scriptures to see if things were so. And many of them were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But you know what? Get this. People from Thessalonica came over and caused problems in Berea. So Paul had to run for his life again. Macedonia was nothing but trouble. But through those problems, a church was started at Philippi. A church was started at Thessalonica. Other churches and ministries began because Paul was willing to pay the price. What does it take to stop you? As a believer in Jesus Christ, I read about the missionary journey to Macedonia, and all I can say is, what, an, uh, what, what character Paul and Silas had to continue on for God and serve God. By the way, Timothy traveled with them as well. Uh, we know that Luke was involved in, in some of the travels at different times with Paul. He was a great companion of his. There were many people who were willing to pay the price to serve Jesus Christ. Persecution came. And by the way, it was through that persecution that those people came to faith in Christ. That's what Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6 is saying. He's saying through this persecution, through these things, it didn't stop these people from hearing the gospel and getting saved. Let me ask you something. If you were, just imagine, picture this in your mind, because it's, it's an amazing thing to me as I've thought it through this, this past week in preparation for this. Here, here are these people. They're hearing the gospel for the first time. Unsaved. No idea whatsoever about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Jews knew about a Messiah, sure, but they didn't know and didn't understand this message. This is being preached to them, probably many of them, for the very first time. And they see that the guys that are preaching it have to run for their lives. What would you do with that message? What would you do? <laughs> I don't want that. <laughs> Man. Are you kidding me? I don't want that kind of message. Wouldn't you be that way? Come on, be serious. Wouldn't it be awful hard to even accept the gospel knowing that the people who are preaching the message are being thrown in prison? They're being persecuted, running for their lives. And yet, that's how this church started. And that's what this letter is about. It's a letter to a church of people, not only that were that saw Paul and Silas being persecuted for the faith and yet still trusted Christ. The people then who were continuing on for God in the midst of that persecution that didn't stop. And here they are living for the glory and honor of God. What does it take to stop you? We see in uh, the book of Acts, and we see in what we've already shared with you in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6, the reality. We also see the response to affliction. Go back, if you would, to the book of uh, Thessalonians. And in the book of Thessalonians, we see in chapter 2 what the response of the people was to the persecution they saw. Notice in verse 2, But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. <laughs> now, by the way, that wasn't their contention. It was contention against them. 
All right, you're getting the picture. All right, so they didn't stop, did they? We preach, hey, at Philippi, we were shamefully entreated. They beat us. The Philippian jailer washed our wounds, but we still had wounds. It was still a miserable time. By the way, you know, when they're ministering in Thessalonica, there's there's some uh, open wounds that are healing on their backs. You realize that. Because they've been beaten for their faith in Jesus Christ. But it didn't stop them. And then they faced the persecution from the Thessalonians, the Jews there that don't like the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and don't like what, what Paul and Silas have to say, even though it's a message that can give eternal life to anyone who believes in it. And yet they were willing. Their response to affliction was, so be it. If God allows that, I'm still going to serve him. And because of that, we have two books in the New Testament written to the church of Thessalonica to help us in our lives today. Because men were willing to stand for Jesus Christ and do what was right. We have two books written because there are people who came to faith in Jesus Christ and were willing to live through the contention and affliction that came for faith in Jesus Christ. What does it take to stop you? We have the reality of affliction. We have the response to affliction. We have the result of the affliction. Look at what it says in verse 7 of chapter 1. So that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and, and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith to, uh, to God word is spread abroad so that we not need not to speak anything. The result of affliction was they lived for God. And when they lived for God, their testimony was such a light before the, the lost world and such a light before Christians. Get this, Christians were talking about the believers at Thessalonica in all of Macedonia. Word gets back to Philippi. And i got to tell you that the Christians had to be encouraged at Philippi when they saw a church that started in affliction, that started as a result of two men who were willing to preach through affliction, and contention of men who were just willing to live for Jesus Christ, and then Christians, new believers, who were willing to just say, like Anwar, I don't care what happens to me. It doesn't matter. God will take care of me. I am going to serve Jesus Christ. And, and i got to tell you, the, the church today in America is just an embarrassment. When we think about and we read about people like this who said, I don't care what it costs, I We'll live for Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something, that's what God wants from us today. He, he, wants, he wants believers who are willing to face whatever affliction comes as a result of serving Jesus Christ. He wants Christians who will keep going on, keep seeking to be a witness, keep living for Jesus Christ, keep doing the things that are right no matter what happens. Now the truth is, Seriously, everyone wants sunshine rather than rain, don't they? Quite honestly, I, I, I'm not really excited about what I see going on in our country today. And I, and I believe most everyone will be in agreement with me. It's kind of scary. It's not just scary from the standpoint of the, the fact that they're making bizarre decisions in, 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 uh, in Washington. Just crazy decisions but because many of their decisions have a total disregard for, for truth, for God, for right. And 
That means there may come a time where you and I are going to have to face maybe what some of the things that happened to the church at Thessalonica. Maybe in a different way. I certainly hope that won't be the case. I'm thankful we have enjoyed the freedoms we do. But the truth of the matter is, whatever comes our way, God's looking for faithful men. People who are willing to say, Jesus Christ means more to me than anything. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain and washed it white as snow. Jesus deserves our very best. And although we would like a sunshine-filled life, sometimes rain falls. And when rain falls, will you still live for God? That, if you want to get a picture of the overall book of, Thessal the book of Thessalonians, is the message. Live for God, no matter what comes. The book calls upon us to live for God in affliction. But can I tell you that this book calls upon us to do something else? This book calls upon us to be involved in edification. This is really a very encouraging book. It, it, it may not seem like it in a few different places, but it really is a very encouraging book. Um, as I said, I, I, I heard and I, I heard I heard from him and I heard as well uh, from, from Dr. Bear that he preached on and he mentioned in Sunday school and he dealt with, with this book. He shared the fact that this church was going through great persecution and what was the message in this book? And it's a message of hope. It's a message focusing a lot on the fact that Jesus is coming again. And I got to tell you, if you're being persecuted for your faith, if, you're, if your life is on the line for your faith, you want to hear about Jesus coming again. Because that ends it all in a great way. You know, uh, you know, I've heard preachers say, you know, someday I may meet the undertaker, but I'd rather meet the upper taker. You know, and, and that's, that's what I'd rather. I'd rather be caught up, meet the Lord in the air, wouldn't you? And that is one of the messages that's found in the book of Thessalonians that's going to encourage your heart. This book was written to edify believers. It wasn't written like the book of Corinthians to straighten out a lot of problems and say, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. By the way, he probably could have said that about any church. But what he wrote to the church at Thessalonica is, hey, people, you're going through suffering right now. I know it, and I am so thankful for your testimony. I am thankful that you're living for God. I want you to know Jesus is coming again. And those who have died in Christ, uh, those people, they'll be caught up to meet the Lord and will as well be caught up to meet the Lord and we'll meet him in the air. And then he said, wherefore comfort one another with these words. This book is about edification. This book is about lifting people up and encouraging people who are facing difficult times. It's a lesson in affliction. It's a lesson to continue on for God. It gives us the message over and over. These people loved God enough to serve Him no matter what, but it's also a book calling us to be involved in edification. Paul was involved in that. Uh, look at verse, right at verse 2 in chapter 1. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. And that thankfulness and that attitude of appreciation continues throughout the book. 
Uh, God used Timothy to do that task. Look in chapter 2, um, and I think it's a little bit later on, and I'm trying to find where the verse is right now. But uh, Timothy was involved in that task. I'm sorry, it's in, in chapter two, 3 and verse 6. But now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Timothy came with a good message. Look in verse 2. Here's where it is. I knew it was somewhere in chapter 3. And sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to do what? To comfort you. Do you know what? Paul, Paul sent the letter to be an encouragement and a blessing. I want you to know I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for your testimony, chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. I am thankful for you folks. I'm thankful for your faith in Jesus Christ. I am just so thankful for your love for God. And you know, Timothy was sent for this reason, to encourage them, to edify, to build up the believers. They needed edification. And that's what his job, the person involved in doing it. Paul was involved with it. Timothy was involved in doing it. Look in chapter 5, if you would, and in verse 11, where God says, wherefore. And read that first phrase with me. Let's do Read the whole verse. Join with me. Wherefore, comfort yourselves and edify one another, even as also ye do. Look, if you want to learn a lesson from the book of Thessalonica, it's this, be an encourager. Be involved in edification. Be willing to suffer affliction and for God and live for God. And by the way, you will be an encouragement if you'll do that. They encouraged Paul. Can you imagine being an encouragement to Paul? That this ministry and work was an encouragement to Paul because they stood for Jesus Christ. All of Macedonia was encouraged and edified because this church stood for Jesus Christ. Stand in affliction. But God has given us all this ministry of edification. It seems like we've hit on that quite a bit lately, and it seems like a lot of passages of Scripture have reminded us of this fact. But, but Christians, God's, God's people need encouragement. I, I'm thankful. I really am. I rejoice in the fact that we, we don't have to worry about prison. You're thankful for that, aren't you? You, know, you don't have to worry about your life being threatened, like Paul and Silas numerous times have. You don't have to worry about someone taking you, a group of people, a, a mass group of people beating you and leaving you for dead somewhere. We don't have to face those kind of things, but we still need encouragement, don't we? You, you need encouragement, don't you, every once in a while? Uh, this book is about that, and this book says, be an encourager. It isn't just encouraging this church. But it's urging us, if, if chapter 5 and verse 11 is true, that we just need to be involved in this task. Uh, if, I can, if I can just tell you this, I, we really need, we need to get to know one another here at Spring Meadow Baptist Church. Uh, we need to get to know one another so we can pray for one another and care for one another appropriately. You look at every one of the churches in the New Testament, everyone that you, you, you read about, except Corinthians, they had some problems. But by the way, they got those things right according to the second chapter, second book. Started to move forward for the glory of God. But you find that these churches were like bodies. 
They all work together. And and listen, it wasn't just you know three families encouraging one family. It was just the whole body of Christ working together and encouraging one another to live for God. Look at what it says in verse 10 or verse 11 of chapter 5 again. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. These people were doing it, but they need to do it more. You say, Pastor, I'm already involved in it. Wonderful. Keep it up and do it more. And it's not just getting to know people. It's just understanding. Well, it is getting to know people because you're not going to understand. Understand that people have rough weeks, rough days, rough months, rough years. I want to ask how many have had a rough year, rough couple years, rough century, you know, uh, rough uh, whatever, you know. Well, can't have rough century, can we? Uh, but anyway, um, well, we won't mention any names here. All right, but uh, maybe you've just had a rough time of it in life. Fact of the matter is, we we just need we just need God's people edifying one another, building up one another, encouraging one another in the faith. And we're not just talking about people who are suffering, but just um, encouraging people to live for God. You know, um, to walk with God. And I'm not talking about just calling someone and saying, Miss your church Sunday! Be there this Sunday! You know, or something like that. Although there's nothing sinful or wrong necessarily. I think you need to do it in a right way. Um, but just noting that maybe someone looks tired. Maybe someone's sore because they walked up 20 flights of stairs. Uh, you know, maybe maybe someone's had a rough week. Someone's we've been we've been praying for someone that's out of work that God has provided a job. That's a way we can edify and build up and encourage and to say uh, that's an answer to prayer. I want you to know I was praying about that and God worked. That's a blessing. And those things can just build up believers knowing that someone's going to the doctor and maybe calling them during the week or texting them and find out how they're doing or letting them know that you're praying for them. You know, we've had those situations. There's just so many different ways that God's people need to be built up. And this book is about that. We could go through, we don't even have time. We just mentioned three different people who were involved in it. But we can find places in this book where these people were just edified, built up in the faith. Um, and and the church desperately needs that. And although I have I have been greatly encouraged as a pastor to I think observe that in many ways, I just say every time I read through a book like this, um, I think we can keep working on it. So keep at it. I want to praise you for doing it, but let's keep doing it, and let's not let people fall through the cracks, if you would. Um. Just being a people and caring about folks and asking God to help you to be a comfort to others. Wouldn't it be a great thing if everyone in the church came came to church with a couple of things? First of all, a desire to learn what God had to say because we love God. That's that would be first. A desire to edify and build people up by singing enthusiastically, by having the joy of the Lord in our heart. 
and then a desire to just be a blessing to someone and to comfort someone's heart. And if we just had people, everyone come to church like that. And if you came to church that way, you say, well, I could use a little bit of that. All right, maybe you need to come to church looking to do that yourself. And stop being, well, why aren't people ministering to me? And think, how can I minister to someone else today? And if God's people would come to church like that, I believe we'd have a church like the church at Thessalonica that was moving forward and vibrant for the glory of God, and their testimony was known throughout the world because they had, they had look at the end of verse 6, they had joy of the Holy Ghost. So it's a book that calls upon us to serve God in affliction. It's a book that calls upon us to be involved in edification but it's a book also, believe it or not, confronting us with the need for action. It's an amazing thing to me. You would think that the book of Thessalonians would only be encouragement. Hey, you're doing a good job, you know, kind of keep it up. But this book does not exclude or does not keep from telling us things that we need for our lives. Look at the end. I, I just love it because it's, it's very easy to see how he challenges people to be different in chapter 5. Look at, look at the end of this, because this is peppered throughout the book. But the end, he has like a number of different commands. And these are, again, verses, as I said last week, that I always enjoy memorizing. They're, they're good for memorization. Like this one, verse 16. Rejoice evermore. And by the way, isn't that a message we need to hear in affliction? Because how many times do you rejoice in affliction? Because evermore is during affliction too, <laughs> right? Rejoice in everything. Is, oh, pray without ceasing. There we go. Skip that one. Pray without ceasing. Why? We need that, don't we? All the time communicating with God. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. These are all challenges that they needed. These are all things they needed to be, if you would, confronted about. And they're not told like, like maybe the church at Corinth, it's your carnal. But he says, hey, look, there's still progress to be made. And you've been living for God, and I want to praise you for that. And I rejoice in that, and I'm thankful for that. But we also need to keep moving on for God. And there's things to do in your Christian life. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesying. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you holy. He's, he's basically saying this. I want to encourage you, but the way I'm going to encourage you as well is to challenge you to live for God. And by the way, we need to do that with one another as well. We just need to continually uh, urge one another to keep walking with God and to serve God and make our lives count. And so this book is not only going to encourage us. It's not only going to call us to continue on in affliction. It's not only going to encourage us to be edifying one another, but it's also going to confront us with a need for action to live for the glory of God. Because Christianity is not only about comfort. It's about conduct. Christianity is not only about comfort. It's about conduct, and that's an important thing, and it's something that we need to say in our day and age because there are a lot of churches that are going away from challenging people anymore. And I mean that in all sincerity. There are preachers, and there are men who are getting up and influencing pre preachers who tell people to give 
people and to preach what people want to hear. And that's being done in churches where preachers today aren't preachy. I actually heard a pre- I'm not preachy. Um, Paul told Timothy, preach the word. And he told him that there's going to come time when men will not endure sound doctrine. Men will want to hear the truth of the word of God, but you got to hear it. And whether you're in affliction or not, whether you've been saved for years or not, you still need to be challenged to live for God. And this book does that very thing. Many times it just encourages God's people to, to, hey, live for Jesus Christ. Make your life count for God. Remove some things that may be displeasing to God. Put some things on that are pleasing to the Lord. Because Christianity isn't only about comfort, it's about conduct. And you say, you know, come on, Pastor, you're overdoing it. Really, are there churches that that don't challenge people anymore? Well, I think they challenge people to an extent. But the focus today, in, in many ways, has just been to please people rather than challenging people to live for God. And if you don't believe that's the case, seriously, go to a Christian bookstore and see how many books are about self-help and encouragement and wonderful, comforting messages, and then look for the section. Try to find it somewhere that deals with holiness, consecration, separation, surrender. And you will find that there are multitudes of books about all sorts of things, about all sorts of problems, and how to find help from God for these things in your life, which I'm not making fun of, or they're unimportant. But there's very little being said about live for God. And this book has both. It has as much live for God as it does here are some things in your life that you need you, you need encouragement about. And that's how we're supposed to be balanced in our Christian life. We need to be encouraged, but we also need to be challenged. Live for God. And so the book of Thessalonians is going to be doing that for you, to you. Just calling upon you uh, to have live a different life. Uh, calling upon you to change. I think one of the most powerful messages on purity is found in the book of Thessalonians. In verses 1-8 of chapter 4. Right before, God comes with a wonderful encouragement about the second coming. We can read through as we just did in chapter 5 and find numerous things that God expects. Verses before that and and, uh, not really verses after, but verses before the ones that we read that call upon believers to live for God and to change their lives for the glory of God. So if you want a sweeping picture of the book of Thessalonians, you have it. It's a book written to people who receive the word of God in affliction. The men who preached it suffered greatly in order to proclaim the message, but they were willing to pay the price. The people who received it suffered greatly, but they received Jesus Christ and they served God and they grew in Jesus Christ and their life was a great testimony for Jesus Christ. This book is about comfort. It's about encouragement. People who encouraged the church, but people in the church who were called upon to encourage one another and then this book is about change. It's about challenge. It's about moving on for God. It's about making your life count. I tell you that whether you're in affliction, it doesn't matter where you're at, 
in your Christian life right now, whether you're at ease in the sunshine or whether it's rain, you still need to be growing in Jesus Christ. You need to be progressing. I don't care if you've been saved 50 years. I don't care if you've been saved for 150 years. You still need to be growing in, in your faith in Jesus Christ. I know no one's been saved 150 years here. I know that. I know that. All right. And I'm not going to mention any names either. Get myself in trouble this month. Don't, why does everyone always think I'm going to look at the guy right up here? I, I, you know, I don't know why they always think that. Maybe because I do always look at the guy up here. Here, here's the fact. I, seriously, uh, Brother Rumstead hasn't been saved as 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 many years as some of the folks here. I don't think. Maybe you're saved when you're 30 or so. Um. So um, some of you may have even been saved longer than Brother Umstead. But it doesn't matter how long you've been saved. You need to be growing. You need to change. Become more like Jesus Christ. Whatever the circumstance of your life, progress in your Christian life. Those things are found in this book. Sometimes introducing a book can get really deep. But it's it, first Thessalonians is intensely practical. And I think just wonderfully encouraging. And I'm looking forward as, a, as, as your pastor with you as a people in digging into this book and seeing these things that everyone desperately needs. Because we all have rainy days. We all need encouragement. And we all need to be challenged to live for God. And maybe God spoke to you today about being an encouragement or serving God in spite of affliction. Or moving on for God. If he did, then wouldn't it be great to look at this book and to find it to be an encouragement to make greater progress rather than a book that convicts you about things that need to change. And maybe today you need to do business with God so that you can be in a place where this book will be what it was, I think, to the church at Thessalonica. What else can we do for God now? And let's serve him better. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And I just ask you this this morning, did God